As Bruce said, um, Chris is continuing on his series about sowing gospel seeds, and he's going to be talking today about sowing with accuracy, and uh, he's going to demonstrate that through an exposition of Acts 18, which you can find on page 640 in your pew Bibles if, um, if you don't have your own here with you. Again, that's Acts 18. Let's read. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was with the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Then Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to him, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, who was one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And, and he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Chintera for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a little longer time with them, he did not consent. But he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming, uh, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in, or, in order to strengthen all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed by the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
And when he, he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we, we come to you in Jesus' name. We just thank you for your word. We thank you that it um, is able to be understood and that, um, that, we can, that, that it makes sense and that we can apply it to our lives. Um, God, just uh, speak to us um, through your word and speak, to, speak your word through Chris this morning and help us to learn from it and apply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Kevin. I had Kevin read that all of chapter 18 because it ends, uh, the second missionary journey of Paul ends there in verse 22, and the third missionary journey begins in verse 23. It also, in that reading, uh, Paul picked up a couple along the way on the second missionary journey, a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, who are going to be the key players in today's message. But before we get there, I want to ask you, how did sowing God's Word with abandon go this week? Good. Good to hear. I've heard some great stories, and uh, I would appreciate anytime you can, uh, if you have a great story to tell, and even in, sometimes we downplay what we do, every time you sow God's Word, whether it's raising a spiritual conversation, whether it's sharing a tract, whatever it is, that is kingdom work that is worth celebrating. Amen? And so it was good to hear some of those stories. I had the opportunity to give a LifeBridge invite card out this week, as well as uh, send to someone a, the pamphlet back there, Why Trust the Bible? And as important as we saw last week, that sowing with abandon. I mean, it all begins with that. But we're going to see today that we can't just sow with abandon. We need to sow with gospel accuracy. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 28. And if you notice, in verses 25 and 26, the word accurate is repeated twice. Accurate. He Apollos, this great teacher that we're going to meet, was teaching accurately, but then this couple that we're going to meet taught him so that he could teach more accurately. You see, sowing with gospel abandon does not eliminate the need for sowing with gospel accuracy. So as much as we want to uh, throw the seed out there like confetti, and I illustrated last week, as important as it is to get it out there, it does not eliminate the need for sowing with gospel accuracy. Both are necessary to bridge the gap to all peoples with the gospel. Now, I know that just even using the word accuracy is causing some of you to now freak out. You're like, I, I knew this was coming. This is my greatest fear about sowing with abandon. You're thinking, I'm afraid I won't say it accurately. I'm afraid I won't say it correctly. I'm afraid I won't do it perfectly. But I assure you that these four verses hold out hope for all of us because it shows us that God uses ordinary people to fill the gaps others have in their understanding of the gospel. 
The whole idea here is that God uses ordinary people, and you can look at your neighbor and just say to him right now, you're ordinary, you're ordinary, and I am too, and I am too. We're all ordinary, and God uses ordinary people like us to fill the gaps. We're going to meet and have met here in these four verses three key people in this passage, Apollos, who is a passionate and powerful gifted teacher, and then Aquila and Priscilla, who are an ordinary married couple. They make tents for a living. You can't get anything more boring than that. I'm a tent maker. I sew leather together, okay? That's ordinary. And guess what? It's this ordinary married couple that ends up teaching the gifted teacher in order to fill the gaps in his understanding of the gospel. This powerful gifted teacher gets taught by this ordinary married couple. In fact, I think this is the reason that Luke, led by the Holy Spirit, begins Paul's third missionary journey in the city of Ephesus, get this, without Paul even being present. This is Paul's third missionary journey. Paul isn't in Ephesus. He's off doing his third missionary journey thing. What is happening in Ephesus is being done by others than the Apostle Paul. Why? To remind us that God uses ordinary people to fill the gaps others have in their understanding of the gospel. Now, we all have gaps. All God's children have gaps. We've all got gaps in our understanding of the gospel. And those gaps need to be filled in order to sow with gospel accuracy. We've all got a gap between what we understand of the gospel and what the gospel really is. We all have a gap between what we understand of the gospel and how to apply it in our lives. And if we're going to sow the gospel with accuracy in the lives of others, then we need our gaps filled. And so that's what this passage helps us to do. And so what I want you to see is that there are four essentials for sowing with gospel accuracy. Four essentials for how to fill the gaps in our understanding of the gospel so that we can help others fill their gaps. So let's take a look at it. Number one, here's the first essential. Be taught by God's gifted teachers. Be taught by God's gifted teachers. If you've got gaps in your gospel understanding, and we all do, then you need to be taught by God's gifted teachers. Now, the first thing Luke wants us to see in this passage in verse 24 is to understand about a certain Jew by the name of Apollos, and it's this, that he is one of God's gifted teachers. Writing back later, many years later, Paul writes back to the Ephesians, and he reminds them that gifted teachers are God's gifts to the church. Why? To equip them for the work of the ministry, to stabilize them so they're not swayed by false doctrine, so that they have a firm foundation from which to speak the truth in love to lost people. All that's in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he, Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets. That's now found in the Word of God. Some as evangelists, some as pastors, 
and teachers. Why? For the reason I just gave you, for equipping the saints so that they can be unified, stabilized, in order to move out and mobilized for sowing the seed of the gospel. Now, writing back to the Corinthians from Ephesus in just a few years, Paul reminds the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that God's gifted teachers are third only to apostles and prophets. That's how important gifted teachers are to the local church. They're not to be just uh, squirreled away into academia. They're not supposed to hide out in ivory towers. They're not supposed to be, just be professors uh, sequestered in their studies. They are to be teachers in the church. And Paul says, first apostles, then prophets, then teachers. That's how important it is to be taught by God's gifted teachers. And so here in, in Acts 8, 24 through 26, Luke lists eight characteristics that are just, they're, they're just dynamite about who this man is as a teacher. I wish we could, we could unpack every one of those, but it would be halftime of the Chiefs game and I'd be in big trouble. So let me summarize these four, eight characteristics into four. Number one, Characteristics of God's gifted teachers as seen in the life of Apollos. Number one, they are well taught and able to teach others. They're well taught and able to teach others. We see that, that Apollos was an Alexandrian by birth and an eloquent man. And if you knew what Alexandria was like in that age, you would say, you are at home in a learning environment. Because Alexandria was the most famous city for intellectual, cultural, uh, educational. It had the world's largest library at that time. It was famous. Apollos was not only just eloquent, but that word for eloquent meant he wasn't just an eloquent speaker, but he was a very educated speaker as well. He had been instructed, we see in this passage, in the way of the Lord, and he was able to teach others what he had learned. Just understand this. Great teachers begin as great learners who are then able to teach others also. Second characteristic of a great gifted teacher is skilled in handling the Scriptures. Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures. Man, if there's something I want to attain to, something I would love to be written on my tombstone, he was mighty in the scriptures. You see, Alexandria was the home of a very large and influential group of Jews. In fact, it was like one-fifth of the city. They, they, they were influential, and they were cultured, and they were educated. And it was out of this city, years before that the very first translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, and it is, scholars see it as the most influential translation of the scriptures to ever have happened, ever. Even English translations, even the beloved King James, the, the Septuagint unlocked the promises of God in Hebrew for the Greek-speaking world. This meant that idol worshipers, this meant that pagans, this meant that every people in that known world 
people because they spoke Greek like most people in our world, commerce, speak English. They spoke Greek. And it opened that up. And Apollos, I'm sure, from a very early age, had been saturated in this Greek translation of the Old Testament. In fact, when you read your New Testament and the Old Testament is quoted, Jesus and the disciples, the vast majority of times, are quoting from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Apollos knew the content. He understood the message. He knew its meaning. He was able to exhort in sound doctrine. We see this in verses 27, where he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, but he was able to refute false doctrine. And we see that in verse 28, where he powerfully refuted the Jews who rejected Jesus as their Savior. Third characteristic of a gifted teacher is they're not only mighty in the Scriptures, skilled in handling them, but number three, they're passionate about accurately teaching the gospel of Jesus. They love to teach Jesus through the Scriptures. Spurgeon said, get into the passage and then make a beeline to Jesus. And this is what Apollos did. He knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He was a teacher on fire. It says this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. I mean, when he got up, uh, it unleashed, and he was passionate, and he couldn't hold it in, and he just taught with a great passion, both to, sa to saved and to unsaved. Number four. They leveraged their teaching to bridge the gap to all peoples through the local church. The thing about Apollos, both before he met Aquila and Priscilla and after, he was a man on mission. I mean, wait, uh, Alexandria is northern Africa. Now he's in Asia, in Ephesus. And then he's going to want to go to Corinth. And then he's going to end up uh, the last we hear of him in the New Testament, he's delivering Paul's letter to Titus in Crete. Here's the thing about God's gifted teachers. Even the greatest scholars that have been given to the church, when they're God's gifts to the church, they love the church and they love to take their learning and put it into the people of God and they love to even evangelize the lost. I've had... Uh, some great privilege to be taught by some great gifted teachers. I think of Dr. Daryl Bach, who is the world's, probably world's expert on New Testament Greek regarding Luke-Acts, the very book we're in. And yet Dr. Bach has a heritage of, Judy, uh, of, uh, of Jewish blood in his DNA, and he spends a whole lot of time uh, with Jews for Jesus and other Jewish organizations evangelizing Jewish people. He also loves cultural engagement, getting the Word of God into the secular world. I think of my favorite uh, professor at Dallas Seminary, Lanier Burns, who was on various mission boards and every year would go to the country of India. I think of a man that hadn't taught me, but he's taught me through his books, D.A. Carson, a great theologian who 
continually spends time evangelizing on the university. I think of our neighbors right here up the street who, under President Allen's uh, leadership at Midwestern, has chosen for the church as their theme of a seminary. What a novel thought. We're here to train men and women for the church. These are the characteristics of God's gifted teachers. These are the kind of men and women that you want to be under as they teach the Word of God. It will help you fill the gaps in, the, in your understanding of the gospel. And so the first thing we see here is be taught by God's gifted teachers. But you know what? You can be under the greatest gifting, gift, the most uh, gifted of teachers or an average one like myself this morning, and it doesn't matter how well they teach it, if you're not teachable. You see, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can read all the books, you can come to church every week, but if you don't have a teachable spirit, you're not going to have your gaps filled, and you're not going to be able to sow with gospel accuracy. So the, the second essential to sow with gospel act, accuracy is learn with a teachable spirit. Now, you may be here saying, but Chris, you don't understand. I've been in church so much. I've read through the Bible. I've, I've, I've always been in church. Maybe I've, you've taken Bible classes. You know what? I don't think there's anything more for me to learn. Ah, dangerous place to be. Because when we look at this man that I just described to you, this man who is mighty in the Scriptures, we see that even Apollos had a teachable spirit. Even Apollos had a teachable spirit. Now, I want to stop right here and ask three important questions. Uh, I, uh, again, I just want to thank Pastor Bruce for giving me these hard, hard passages, Bruce. I just I appreciate them, and, and I really look forward to next week. And, uh, and so let me hit these three things as best I can, but I'm going to have to do it. What did Apollos know and teach accurately? Because it says he taught with accuracy. Well, it says in verse 25, the answer to that question is all in verse 25, he taught the way of the Lord. He taught God's way of salvation is accomplished through the promise and coming Christ of the Old Testament. So he taught the way of the Lord. Verse 25, he also taught and only knew of the baptism of John. John's baptism was to prepare people to place their faith in the promised and coming Christ. But the interesting thing about Apollos is in verse 25 as well, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he knew more than just the Old Testament promises. He knew that Jesus had come in human flesh to be truly man and truly God and to fulfill God's way of salvation. He accurately, he passionately taught that Jesus himself is God's way of salvation and the promised Christ, who, who, if you go back and study what John the Baptist taught, he was the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming and Apollos knew it was Jesus who would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. So the question becomes, what did Apollos still need to learn more accurately? 
Because you see Aquila and Priscilla take him aside. And they say, wait, what? everything you're saying up to this point is right. It's not that you're teaching error. You're not a heretic. It's just that you don't have the rest of the story. So what is it that he needed to learn more accurately? I believe it is spirit baptism occurs the moment people believe in Jesus. And so now water baptism doesn't happen before you believe, like John. Water baptism happens after you believe, and the Holy Spirit comes the moment you accept Christ, and there's kingdom blessings here and now. New covenant blessings that were associated with the second coming of Christ are now available to believers in Christ. The new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit, you can receive that now. Here's what I think John was teaching. He was teaching that, John, that Jesus is the, is the Messiah, that he had come, but the blessings of the kingdom were still future at the second coming. At the judgment, it was future. And so what Aquila and Priscilla apparently did was say, no, we live in the now and the not yet. He's come, and judgment is yet to come, but the Spirit is now. Now, that raises a question. Was Apollos a Christian before he met Aquila and Priscilla? Now, I like to nail things down because I'm a teacher. And I like to study the scriptures and figure that out. I think, but I wouldn't take a bullet for it, I think that very likely Aquila, uh, or I'm sorry, Apollos is a Christian here before he meets them. And we'll have to wait till next week for me, for me to show you the difference between Apollos in this passage and the 12 disciples that Paul is going to encounter next week. And so I think very likely... He was a believer, but he still needed to be taught the way of God more accurately. Now, maybe you could relate to this. I know I can. Have you ever stopped, those of you, and I know not everyone here uh, has crossed the line of belief. If you're seeking or you're searching, you're always welcome here, and I hope that you're learning and growing in that process. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you ever, and you've been a believer for some time, have you ever looked back and asked yourself, Man, I knew nothing when I accepted him. I mean, you know, if it, if it counts, you know, if my salvation counts on what I first knew, you know, I'm kind of scared on that. But aren't you glad that John 3:16 and a simple gospel can lead anyone to Christ? And we never outgrow the gospel, but we fill in our gaps. I think that's what's going on with Apollos. He's saved, but he, no one told him. And you know what? There's a lot of people that get led to Jesus that are never told that you received the Holy Spirit. In fact, I had a friend in seminary, in fact, my best friend, he was my best man at my wedding, Tom, who had went to a Bible church in California, came to Dallas Seminary, and it wasn't in seminary until he learned that he didn't have to sin. I will never forget the day Tom learned that he didn't have to sin. He was so excited. But nobody had told him that. No one had filled in that gap in his gospel. Well, no matter how you answer these three questions, and there is differing opinions, here's what Luke wants us to focus on. Apollos knew Jesus was the Christ. Apollos taught accurately what he knew about Jesus. But he still had gaps. 
And without a teachable spirit, those gaps were not going to get filled. Now, what does a teachable spirit look like? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy 2... got to get me some water. 2 Timothy 2.24 is um, the classic passage in the Scriptures on what a teachable spirit is. So turn there. I want you to look at it in your Bibles. And notice what it says. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. There's number one, there, there, there's your first characteristic of a teachable spirit. Not quarrelsome, but be kind. A teachable spirit needs to be kind, able to teach. And many uh, scholars believe that is best translated there as teachable. Patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance. Here's the aspect of a teachable spirit, not argumentative, not quarrelsome, kind, gentle, long-suffering when wrong, when people resist your teaching or your sharing of the gospel, and a, a person who's very aware that I don't change people, God does. So those are the aspects. Well, who needs this kind of teachable spirit? Well, let me give you two, two groups of people. First of all, gifted leaders need a teachable spirit. In fact, I would put forth to you, the more gifted you are, the greater you need the humility of a teachable spirit. And here we have in Apollos, one of the mightiest, greatest, most gifted teachers in the church, and he has a teachable spirit. Now we know that because he became a great teacher by being teachable. You don't become a great teacher by being a know-it-all. You can't become a great teacher. You become a great, uh, uh, under, uh, you, you master the scriptures by coming to them saying, I don't know it all. You teach me, Lord. He also had learned with a teachable spirit from John the Baptist, or at least one of John's disciples. He, he learned it accurately with a teachable spirit. But here's what I want you to see. Apollos also learned with a teachable spirit from the, this very ordinary married couple of Aquila and Priscilla. And that's the beauty of this passage. Apollos was a learner who had been taught from an early age. But listen, he was a lifelong learner who remained teachable as a leader. And that's why he got his gospel gaps filled. And that's why we know so much and are indebted so much as we read about Apollos in the New Testament. But who else needs a teachable spirit? Well, number two, godly members. Godly members. All of God's people need a teachable spirit. Just think about this for a moment. What if Priscilla and Aquila had not been teachable when, as I believe, Paul first shared the gospel with them? They wouldn't have been here when Apollos needed him. What if Priscilla and Aquila had not been teachable for the year and a half in Corinth where they worked side by side and Paul lived in their home? You think they would have been able to fill those gaps? Not at all. What, just think if they had not remained teachable for the next three years that they again work and serve side by side with the Apostle Paul. Three different churches Ephesus, Corinth, and Rome would be without knowledgeable hosts 
to house their churches. And get this, what if they had not approached Apollos with the teachable spirit when they took him aside? It says they took him aside, and the word can be translated, and I think accurately, more than likely, they invited, their in, them, they invited him in the home. In other words, they had a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit is not just how you receive truth. A teachable spirit is how you convey truth. So here's this man, mighty and powerful, teaching publicly. They don't shame him. They don't embarrass him. They don't say, hey, hey, that was pretty good, but we know it better. You know, let me help you with that. No, after he was done and in private, they said, come to our home. They received him into their home, sat around the kitchen table, and had a little Bible study. Well, of course, it was a scroll study at that time, and uh, basically it was based on memorization. Uh, you had to master the scriptures. Well, what we see in this is number three, the third essential. Remember, everyone is able to teach. Remember that everyone is able to teach. You know what's ironic? A couple things, and I hope you're seeing it. I hope I'm conveying it. It's just amazing to me that one of the greatest teachers in all the New Testament were taught by an ordinary married couple in their home during an unassuming, ordinary Bible study. A small group Bible study. But because Aquila and Priscilla had been taught by God's gifted teacher, the Apostle Paul, because they had a teachable spirit, they were able to sow God's word into Apollos' heart with greater gospel accuracy. And here's the good news. You can do that too. You can do that too. You can do that too. We're not only able to teach God holds all of his children accountable to teach God's word to others. And you know what's ironic is what Priscilla and Aquila do in verse 26, explain to him. It means to carefully and accurately and systematically teach him is the very thing we find Paul doing at the end of the book of Acts. So here's the point. It's not just for the superstars. It's not just for, God forbid, the celebrities. It's not just for the guys that write books and the women that hold conferences. But all of us are to teach the Word of God like Aquila and Priscilla did. Now, before I get too far afield, let's look at how they did it. Three ways they did it. Number one, they listened with discernment. They listened with discernment. I don't care how well you vet the people that you listen to, eventually someone's going to be off. Uh, I know I'm off. My problem is I don't know where I'm off, okay? And so that's why we need one another to share. I think you're off here. Okay, well, let's go back to the scriptures and see. I have no problem with that. You come anytime you want, and maybe we'll agree to disagree on minor issues. If it's major issues, we all need to submit to the gospel, amen? But here's the reality. You've got to listen with discernment because there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. A lot of crazy stuff. 
See, these two were like the Bereans. They searched the scriptures to make sure what they were hearing. So let me just give you this one application. And I shared this with our kids at camp because there was one message at camp. You can't avoid it. It happens. There was one message where it just went far afield. Okay, great. We're not here to denigrate the speaker. The speaker was great all week. It was a great week. Nothing wrong with camp. But what a teaching opportunity. And, I, and we gathered the kids, and I said, kids, here's what happens. When we're in church, we say, open the Bible, as Kevin did, and read. And hopefully we open our Bible. Then we read and follow with whoever's speaking. And then I said, kids, then what happens? And to a person, they all said, we close our Bibles. And that, I said, we cannot do. Here's how you listen to anyone, anyone, me, Pastor Bruce, it doesn't matter, John MacArthur, I don't care who it is. You listen, and you put your hand to your ear to listen, and then you look down at your scriptures. And then you look, you listen, and then you look down at your scriptures. You listen, and then you look. You listen, and then you look. Because the authority and the truth is in your scriptures. And if you're relying on our written notes, if you're relying on just listening to our voice, you have put yourself in a dangerous position. Please don't do that. Listen with discernment. Number two, they taught with discretion. They taught with discretion. And I won't uh, spend time here. They did it privacy, in, privacy, in, 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 in private. And they did it receiving, them, receiving him into their home. Third, they explained through discipleship. They explained through discipleship. You see, there are those who uh, believe the Bible teaches that women can be pastors. And that's fine. You know, Christians can be wrong on things. They can be right on things. That's okay. Uh, the evidence of the whole counsel of God is pretty clear that that's not the case. But they'll see what's going on here with Apollos, and they'll want to say, oh, look, uh, Priscilla is teaching this mighty teacher. He, she's a preacher. She's a pastor. She's an elder in the church that meets in their home. And even though Priscilla is doing the very thing that Paul did publicly, she's not doing it publicly. She's not doing it in the role of a pastor. She's just being an ordinary Christian. And you should too. And so we can go through all these scriptures. Uh, in fact, there's no way to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission except by teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Parents, you are to be teaching your children, discipling them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Every Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit according to Colossians 3.16, is to be teaching one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. You realize that when we sing here, we're teaching one another. So let me ask you, when you sing, can anyone hear you make a joyful noise? My wife says, I can never hear myself sing because I'm standing next to you. And I said, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. We're supposed to sing and teach one another. There's so much here. The point is this. Remember... We are all to be teachers. And here, here, here's the application of that. If you depend on Pastor Bruce and myself, our Discovery Hour teachers, once a week to fill all your gospel gaps, it ain't happening. 
we don't have the time. We, we don't, you, you've got to, we've got to teach one another. That's why we have grow groups, so that we can teach one another. That's why we have discovery hour, so each grade level and age level can teach one another. You see, we all need to be doing that. And so that brings us to a key question. For those who believe it's biblical for women to be pastors, why is Priscilla often mentioned first before her husband. Four out of six times she's mentioned first, which then gives, uh, uh, lets people run a rabbit trail and say, well, she must have been the head of her home and she must have been a pastor in the church. Well, uh, since I've got a limited number of times here, I, I, I wrote it up. So it's right, the article's back there. You check it out. Don't take it for my word. Look up the scriptures, but find out if uh, Priscilla is uh, justification for women to be pastors in a local church. Well, here's the fourth essential. The fourth essential is this. Maintain a biblical tension. Maintain a biblical tension. Now, by this time, a teacher studying a passage about a teacher on teaching gets excited about the lesson. I've got a full legal pad of notes and observations that I took, and I edited, and I've edited, and I've edited. But I got excited about this. So you have six. Now, we're not going to go through all six of these. But here's why they're important. Okay, here's why they're important. Because the vast majority of error and heresy is a result of taking a truth to an extreme. Okay, most heretics in church history did not start out as bad guys or bad women. They started out with a biblical truth or trying to resolve a biblical tension, and there's a lot of those in the Bible, and then they ran to an extreme. So I want you to think of a rubber band, okay? If there's no tension in a rubber band, it's pretty much loose, limp, and lifeless. But when you study the Bible, that rubber band gets stretched and there's a tension. Now, if you try to go to one extreme, what happens to the rubber band? It snaps. But as long as you keep those truths in tension, that rubber band fulfills its purpose and you're going to stay centered on God's truth. And so as I sat and, and, and I thought through what this lesson is teaching, there's at least, there's many, many more, but here's at least six. So here's a tension to maintain. The tension between the Spirit's gifting and our studying. See, some, some people get all excited about, I've got the gift of teaching, but I don't have the gift of studying. Well, that's going to end badly, okay? And it'll usually end in heresy, thus the God, thus saith the Lord to me and now to you, Okay? So what you see in Apollos and what you see Paul say to Timothy is, look, this is what he says in 1 Timothy 4. He says to Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift. And then he says, get busy studying. Don't stir up your gift and do it by doing the hard work of being a student of the word. Number two, maintain a biblical tension between sowing with abandon and with accuracy. And this is where, if you don't get anything else, I want you to understand this. Don't believe the lie of the devil and your own insecurity in thinking, if I don't have it all right, I shouldn't share. 
More people don't share the gospel because fear of doing it wrong when in fact just sow with abandon and do it as accurately as you know at this time to do it. That's what Apollos did. He didn't hold back. He didn't even know what he didn't know. And guess what? Neither do we. We don't know what we don't know. But we need to sow with abandon what we do know. Amen? And then keep filling our gospel gaps. How? By being under gifted teachers, by having a teachable spirit and these essentials that we're looking at. Maintain a balance between planning and watering. That means teach to evangelize and teach to disciple, but you teach on mission. Number four, maintain a tension between conviction and compassion, between boldness and gentleness. Very important. Five, maintain a biblical tension between honoring teachers as gifts from God without worshiping them as gods. Now, that's exactly what Aquila and Priscilla did. They respected Apollos as a great, gifted teacher. They didn't shame him. They didn't public, uh, publicly correct him or add to his teaching. They respected him and brought, brought him into their home, but they were bold with conviction. We're not going to let you keep teaching without the rest of the story. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, this is a beautiful passage. And then finally, maintain a biblical tension between electing qualified men to teach the congregation and empowering women to teach within the roles that God has designed for both genders. So I don't, you know, so this is a controversial passage. It's a passage where egalitarians, those who believe women can be pastors, try to, to draw, uh, draw more out of it than is there, and complementarians who believe God has a creation order design where, where uh, men are to be loving leaders, women are to be respectful helpers, and together they complement and complete. So let me just be clear. Both Aquila and Priscilla discipled Apollos. And we at LifeBridge want to empower women to teach, to lead, to manage, to administer, to serve, to do everything that your talents that God has given you to do and to do it within God's created design. And that's a beautiful thing that you see. So now what? What do we do? Go sow with gospel accuracy. And so, in your notes, you have four applications. Determine to understand the gospel more accurately. Here's a great, great pamphlet that's back there. If you want to make sure you got the gospel content down, here's a great place to start. Uh, and it's a part of his full book that you could also read. I have a, you know, we have all sorts of references. But make sure you know the gospel, and make sure you know how to call for a gospel response. Two, participate in LifeBridge Grow opportunities to learn more accurately. You realize we have Discovery Hour, we have Grow Groups, and we have Grow One-on-One -on -one Discipleship. If you want to fill your gospel gaps, get involved with one of those or each of those. Three, invite others to learn the gospel more accurately. Our church has a legacy and a, a heritage of Bible-based gospel teaching. But let me end with this. Come to the World Outreach Celebration. 
and begin right now to pray about your faith promise commitment. Do you realize that we have the masters who have their own seminary online that's spreading even into Cuba? Do you realize that uh, the Nisleys are involved with training up the next gifted teachers for the Philippines and as missionaries to Asia? We have Sam Chang who is coming and who, like the Septuagint, they want to translate the remaining 2,500 languages into the Bible uh, that don't have the Bible before the year 2025. Isn't that just amazing? Think of the impact that the Septuagint had. That's what these translations had. The Ballingers translating Mongolian for the U-version app. But you know what? For them to do what they do, we've got to be like Aquila and Priscilla. We need to leverage our marketplace occupations and our material possessions in order to further the gospel. So I close with this, the, this warning from Paul. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's bow our heads, and as we enter into our response time, I want you to think about where your gaps are in the gospel. And I would ask you to ask God, as the musicians are going to play, I want you to ask God, God, what do I need to do? Which of these essentials do I need to step up in? Which of these essentials do I need to fill the gaps in my understanding of the gospel? And if you're here and you haven't accepted Christ ever and, and it's beginning to dawn on you that you have some gaps, please fill out the comment card. Let us know. We would love to come and show you from the scriptures, just as they showed Apollos, how to fill those gaps. And if you're ready right now, you can accept Jesus Christ by simply acknowledging your sin, turning from them, to completely trust in what he has done, and to ask him, give me that which I don't have. Give me your righteousness. All I can give you is my sinfulness. What a deal. What a savior. Lord, change my heart and save me. Father, we come and we ask that, Lord, you would fill our gaps and that you would enable us to always teach from our pulpit here to our classrooms, to our homes, to our workplaces, that we would sow with gospel accuracy. So you respond as the musicians play. We pray this in Jesus' name.